Chapters 21 through 30 of Against Celsus, Book 3, by Origen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. And I have not yet spoken of the observance of all that is written in the Gospels, each one of which contains much doctrine difficult to be understood, not merely by the multitude, but even by certain of the more intelligent, including a very profound explanation of the parables which Jesus delivered to, quote, those without, end quote, while reserving the exhibition of their full meaning for those who had passed beyond the stage of exoteric teaching and who came to him privately in the house. And when he comes to understand it, he will admire the reason why some are said to be without and others in the house. And again, who would not be filled with astonishment that is able to comprehend the movements of Jesus ascending at one time a mountain for the purpose of delivering certain discourses or of performing certain miracles or for his own transfiguration and descending again to heal the sick and those who are unable to follow him whither his disciples went. But it is not the appropriate time to describe at present the truly venerable and divine contents of the Gospels or the mind of Christ, that is, the wisdom and the word, contained in the writings of Paul. But what we have said is sufficient by way of answer to the unphilosophic sneers of Celsus in comparing the inner mysteries of the Church of God to the cats and apes and crocodiles and goats and dogs of Egypt. But this low jester, Celsus, omitting no species of mockery and ridicule which can be employed against us, mentions in his treatise the Dioscuri and Hercules and Aesculapius and Dionysus, who are believed by the Greeks to have become gods after being men, and says that, quote, We cannot bear to call such beings gods, because they were at first men, and yet they manifested many noble qualities, which were displayed for the benefit of mankind, while we assert that Jesus was seen after his death by his own followers, end quote. And he brings against us an additional charge as if we said that, quote, he was seen indeed, but was only a shadow, end quote. Now to this we reply that it was very artful of Celsus not here clearly to indicate that he did not regard these beings as gods, for he was afraid of the opinion of those who might peruse his treatise and who might suppose him to be an atheist, whereas if he had paid respect to what appeared to him to be the truth, he would not have feigned to regard them as gods. Now to either of the allegations we are ready with an answer. Let us, accordingly, to those who do not regard them as gods, reply as follows. These beings, then, are not gods at all, but agreeably to the view of those who think that the soul of man perishes immediately after death, the souls of these men also perished, or, according to the opinion of those who say that the soul continues to subsist or is immortal, these men continue to exist or are immortal, and they are not gods, but heroes, or not even heroes, but simply souls. If, then, on the one hand, you suppose them not to exist, we shall have to prove the doctrine of the soul's immortality, which is to us a doctrine of preeminent importance. If, on the other, they do exist, we have still to prove the doctrine of immortality, 
not only by what the Greeks have so well said regarding it, but also in a manner agreeable to the teaching of Holy Scripture. And we shall demonstrate that it is impossible for those who were polytheists during their lives to obtain a better country and position after their departure from this world by quoting the histories that are related of them, in which is recorded the great dissoluteness of Hercules and his effeminate bondage with Omphali, together with the statements regarding Aesculapius that their Zeus struck him dead by a thunderbolt. And of the Dioscuri, it will be said that they die often, quote, at one time live on alternate days, and at another die, and obtain honor equally with the gods, end quote. How, then, can they reasonably imagine that one of these is to be regarded as a god or a hero? But we, in proving the facts related of our Jesus, from the prophetic scriptures and comparing afterwards his history with them demonstrate that no dissoluteness on his part is recorded for even they who conspired against him and who sought false witnesses to aid them did not find even any plausible grounds for advancing a false charge against him so as to accuse him of licentiousness but his death was indeed the result of a conspiracy and bore no resemblance to the death of Escalopius by lightning. And what is there that is venerable in the madman Dionysus and his female garments that he should be worshipped as a god? And if they who would defend such beings betake themselves to allegorical interpretations, we must examine each individual instance and ascertain whether it is well founded, and also in each particular case whether those beings can have a real existence and are deserving of respect and worship who were torn by the titans and cast down from their heavenly throne whereas our jesus who appeared to the members of his own troop for i will take the word that celsus employs did really appear and celsus makes a false accusation against the gospel in saying that what appeared was a shadow and let the statements of their histories and that of jesus be carefully compared together Will Celsus have the former to be true, but the latter, although recorded by eyewitnesses who showed by their acts that they clearly understood the nature of what they had seen, and who manifested their state of mind by what they cheerfully underwent for the sake of his gospel to be inventions? Now, who is there that, desiring to act always in conformity with right reason, would yield his assent at random to what is related of the one, but would rush to the history of Jesus, and without examination refuse to believe what is recorded of him. And again, when it is said of Escalopius that a great multitude, both of Greeks and barbarians, acknowledge that they have frequently seen and still see no mere phantom but Escalopius himself, healing and doing good and foretelling the future, Celsus requires us to believe this, and finds no fault with the believers in Jesus when we express our belief in such stories but when we give our assent to the disciples and eyewitnesses of the miracles of Jesus, who clearly manifest the honesty of their convictions, because we see their godlessness as far as it is possible to see the conscience revealed in writing, we are called by him a set of, quote, silly, end quote, individuals, although he cannot demonstrate that an incalculable number, as he asserts, of Greeks and barbarians acknowledge the existence of Escalopius, 
while we, if we deem this a matter of importance, can clearly show a countless multitude of Greeks and barbarians who acknowledge the existence of Jesus, and some give evidence of their having received, through this faith, a marvelous power by the cures which they perform, invoking no other name over those who need their help than that of the God of all things and of Jesus, along with the mention of his history. For by these means we too have seen many persons freed from grievous calamities and from distractions of mind and madness and countless other ills, which could be cured neither by men nor devils. Now, in order to grant that there did exist a healing spirit named Escalopius, who used to cure the bodies of men, I would say to those who are astonished at such an occurrence, or at the prophetic knowledge of Apollo, that since the cure of bodies is a thing indifferent, and a matter within the reach not merely of the good, but also of the bad, and as the foreknowledge of the future is also a thing indifferent, for the possessor of foreknowledge does not necessarily manifest the possession of virtue, you must show that they who practice healing, or who foretell the future, are in no respect wicked, but exhibit a perfect pattern of virtue, and are not far from being regarded as gods. But they will not be able to show that they are virtuous who practice the art of healing, or who are gifted with foreknowledge, seeing many who are not fit to live are related to have been healed, and these, too, persons whom, as leading improper lives, no wise physician would wish to heal. And in the responses of the Pythian oracle also you may find some injunctions which are not in accordance with reason, two of which we will adduce on the present occasion, viz. when it gave commandment that Cleomedes, the boxer, I suppose, should be honored with divine honors, seeing some great importance or other attaching to his pugilistic skill, but did not confer either upon Pythagoras or upon Socrates the honors which it rewarded to pugilism, and also when it called Archilochus, quote, the servant of the muses, end quote, a man who employed his poetic powers upon topics of the most wicked and licentious nature, and whose public character was dissolute and impure, and entitled him pious, in respect of his being the servant of the muses, who are deemed to be goddesses. Now I am inclined to think that no one would assert that he was a pious man who was not adorned with all moderation and virtue, or that a decorous man would utter such expressions as are contained in the unseemly iambics of Archilochus. And if nothing that is divine in itself is shown to belong either to the healing skill of Ascalopius or the prophetic power of Apollo, how could any one, even were I to grant that the facts are as alleged, reasonably worship them as pure divinities? And especially when the prophetic spirit of Apollo, pure from any body of earth, secretly enters through the private parts the person of her who is called the priestess as she is seated at the mouth of the Pythian cave, whereas regarding Jesus and his power we have no such notion, for the body which was born of the virgin was composed of human material and capable of receiving human wounds and death. Let us see what Celsus says next when he adduces from history's marvelous occurrences which in themselves seem to be incredible, 
but which are not discredited by him so far at least as appears from his words and in the first place regarding aristeus of proconesus of whom he speaks as follows quote, then with respect of aristeus of proconesus who disappeared from among men in a manner so indicative of divine intervention and who showed himself again in so unmistakable a fashion and on many subsequent occasions visited many parts of the world and announced marvellous events and whom apollo enjoined the inhabitants of metapontium to regard as a god no one considers him to be a god this account he appears to have taken from pindar of herodotus it will be sufficient however at present to quote the statement of the latter writer from the fourth book of his histories which is to the following effect quote, of what country aristeus who made these verses was has already been mentioned and i shall now relate the account i heard of him in proconesus and Cyzicus. they say that aristeus who was inferior to none of the citizens by birth entering into a fuller's shop in proconesus died suddenly and that the fuller having closed his workshop went to acquaint the relatives of the deceased when the report had spread through the city that aristeus was dead a certain cyzicenian arriving from arstus fell into a dispute with those who made the report affirming that he had met and conversed with him on his way to cyzicus and he vehemently disputed the truth of the report but the relations of the deceased went to the fuller's shop taking with them what was necessary for the purpose of carrying the body away but when the house was opened aristeus was not to be seen either dead or alive they say that afterwards in the seventh year he appeared in proconesus composed those verses which by the greeks are now called aramaspian and having composed them disappeared a second time such is the story current in these cities but these things i know happened to the metapatines in italy three hundred and forty years after the second disappearance of aristeus as i discovered by computation in proconeus and metapontium the metapontines say that aristeus himself having appeared in their country exhorted them to erect an altar to apollo and to place near it a statue bearing the name of aristeus the proconesian for he said that apollo had visited their country only of all the italians and that he himself who is now aristeus accompanied him and that when he accompanied the god he was a crow and after saying that he vanished and the metapontines say they sent to delphi to inquire of the god what the apparition of the man meant but the pythian bade them obey the apparition and if they obeyed it would conduce to their benefit they accordingly having received this answer fulfilled the injunctions and now a statue bearing the name of aristeus is placed near the image of apollo and around it laurels are planted the image is placed in the public squares thus much concerning aristeus now in answer to this account of aristeus we have to say that if celsus had adduced it as history without signifying his own assent to its truth it is in a different way that we should have met his argument 
but since he asserts that he, quote, disappeared through the intervention of the divinity, end quote, and, quote, showed himself again in an unmistakable manner, end quote, and, quote, visited many parts of the world, end quote, and, quote, made marvelous announcement, end quote, and, moreover, that there was, quote, an oracle of Apollo enjoining the Metapontines to treat Aristeus as a god, end quote. He gives the accounts relating to him as upon his own authority and with his full assent. And, this being the case, we ask, how is it possible that, while supposing the marvels related by the disciples of Jesus regarding their master to be wholly fictitious, and finding fault with those who believe them, you, O Celsus, do not regard these stories of yours to be either products of jugglery or inventions? And how, while charging others with an irrational belief in the marvels recorded of Jesus, can you show yourself justified in giving credence to such statements as the above without producing some proof or evidence of the alleged occurrences having taken place? Or do Herodotus and Pindar appear to you to speak the truth, while they who have made it their concern to die for the doctrine of Jesus, and who have left to their successors writings so remarkable on the truths which they believed, entered upon a struggle for the sake of fictions, as you consider them, and myths, and juggleries, which entails a life of danger and a death of violence? Place yourself, then, as a neutral party, between what is related of Aristeus and what is recorded of Jesus, and see whether, from the result, and from the benefits which have accrued to the reformation of morals, and to the worship of the God who is over all things, it is not allowable to conclude that we must believe the events recorded of Jesus not to have happened without the divine intervention, but that this was not the case with the story of Aristeus the Proconetian. For with what purpose in view did Providence accomplish the marvels related of Aristeus? And to confer what benefit upon the human race did such remarkable events as you regard them take place? You cannot answer. But we, when we relate the events of the history of Jesus, have no ordinary defense to offer for their occurrence. This, viz., that God desired to commend the doctrine of Jesus as a doctrine which was to save mankind and which was based, indeed, upon the apostles as foundations of the rising edifice of Christianity, but which increased in magnitude also in the succeeding ages, in which not a few cures are wrought in the name of Jesus, and certain other manifestations of no small moment have taken place. Now what sort of person is Apollo, who enjoined the Metapontines to treat Aristeus as a god, and with what object does he do this, and what advantage was he procuring to the Metapontines from this divine worship if they were to regard him as a god who a little ago was immortal? And, yet, the recommendations of Apollo, viewed by us as a demon who has obtained the honor of libation and sacrificial orders, regarding this Aristeus appear to you to be worthy of consideration, while those of the God of all things and of his holy angels made known beforehand through the prophets, not after the birth of Jesus, but before he appeared among men, 
do not stir you up to admiration not merely of the prophets who received the divine spirit but of him also who was the object of their predictions whose entrance into life was so clearly predicted many years beforehand by numerous prophets that the whole jewish people who were hanging in expectation of the coming of him who was looked for did after the advent of jesus fall into a keen dispute with each other and that a great multitude of them acknowledged christ and believed him to be the object of prophecy while others did not believe in him but despising the meekness of those who on account of the teaching of jesus were unwilling to cause even the most trifling sedition dared to inflict on jesus those cruelties which his disciples have so truthfully and candidly recorded without secretly omitting from their marvellous history of him what seems to the multitude to bring disgrace upon the doctrine of christianity but both jesus himself and his disciples desired that his followers should believe not merely in his godhead and miracles as if he had not also been a partaker of human nature and had assumed the human flesh which lusteth against the spirit but they saw also that the power which had descended into human nature and into the midst of human miseries and which had assumed a human soul and body contributed through faith along with its divine elements to the salvation of believers when they see that from him there began the union of the divine with the human nature in order that the human by communion with the divine might rise to be divine not in jesus alone but in all those who not only believe but enter upon the life which jesus taught and which elevates to friendship with god and communion with him every one who lives according to the precepts of jesus according to celsus then apollo wished the metapontines to treat aristeus as a god but as the metapontines considered the evidence in favor of aristeus being a man and probably not a virtuous one to be stronger than the declaration of the oracle to the effect that he was a god or worthy of divine honors they for that reason would not obey apollo and consequently no one regarded aristeus as a god but with respect to jesus we would say that as it was of advantage to the human race to accept him as the son of god god come in a human soul and body and as this did not seem to be advantageous to the gluttonous appetites of the demons which love bodies and to those who deem them to be gods on that account the demons that are on earth which are supposed to be gods by those who are not instructed in the nature of demons and also their worshippers were desirous to prevent the spread of the doctrine of jesus for they saw that the libations and odours in which they greedily delighted were being swept away by the prevalence of the instructions of jesus but the god who sent jesus dissipated all the conspiracies of the demons and made the gospel of jesus to prevail throughout the whole world for the conversion and reformation of men and caused churches to be everywhere established in opposition to those of superstitious and licentious and wicked men for such is the character of the multitudes who constitute the citizens in the assemblies of the various cities whereas the churches of god which are instructed by christ when carefully contrasted with the assemblies of the districts in which they are situated are as beacons in the world 
For who would not admit that even the inferior members of the church and those who, in comparison with the better, are less worthy, are nevertheless more excellent than many of those who belong to the assemblies in the different districts? For the church of God, which is at Athens, is a meek and stable body, as being one which desires to please God, who is over all things, whereas the assembly of the Athenians is given to sedition, and is not at all to be compared to the church of God in that city. And you may say the same thing of the church of God at Corinth, and of the assembly of the people of Alexandria. And if he who hears this be a candid man, and one who investigates things with a desire to ascertain the truth, he will be filled with admiration of him who not only conceived the design, but also was able to secure in all places the establishment of churches of God alongside of the assemblies of the people in each city. In like manner, also, in comparing the council of the church of God with the council in any city, you would find that certain counselors of the church are worthy to rule in the city of God if there be any such city in the whole world, whereas the counselors in all other places exhibit in their characters no quality worthy of the conventional superiority which they appear to enjoy over their fellow citizens. And so, too, you must compare the ruler of the church in each city with the ruler of the people of the city in order to observe that even amongst those counselors and rulers of the church of God who come very far short of their duty and who lead more indolent lives than others who are more energetic, it is nevertheless possible to discover a general superiority in what relates to the progress of virtue over the characters of the counselors and rulers in the various cities. End of chapters 21 through 30 of Against Celsus Book 3 by Origin, read by David Ronald.